This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Varun Bhartia is our guest today. Varun is the co-founder of Beehive IO, an online learning platform for computer science students around the world, helping students connect with each other and the, with the best career opportunities. He has spent his entire career working in technology at NASA, Microsoft, Facebook, and Uber. He has an undergrad from the University of Arizona and an MBA from Harvard. This is Shabnam, and I'm co-hosting with Rajiv today. Welcome to our show, Varun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. You're welcome. We are so excited too. Rajit, take it away. Sure. Looking at your background, you have served in some of the most really interesting and cool organizations. Uh, I'm curious, what kind of uh, valuable lesson have you learned as a product manager in all those companies in the technology space? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been very lucky in my career to have been working with those, with those organizations. I think, you know, as a product manager, I think the role really of a product manager is, is kind of scale and like trying to help, you know, teams get better. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a product manager, you're not necessarily, you know, writing the code or like doing the kind of more implementation type tasks, but you're trying to bring people together and get them all guided towards solving a common problem. Um, so I think like probably the biggest sort of lesson I've learned, and, and this is kind of like hard learned lessons from all these places, is just kind of simplicity and organization is, is how can you bring clarity to a problem? How can you bring a team together and have people organize? And this is everything from the, the very small tasks that you might do, such as like, you know, emails to bring up uh, emails at the end of a meeting to type up notes to like weekly summaries to like making sure that there is a clear mission for a team and that they actually all march together and making sure everyone uh, marches uh, and everyone is aligned on the same page. And then also around team is like, how do you bring the best people together? How do you keep them motivated? How do you make sure that everyone is solving very similar uh, problems and everyone's working together? I think those have been like the two kind of consistent themes that I've seen throughout my uh, throughout my career. Sounds like what a leader would do, uh, a true leader. That's awesome. So I have more of a challenging question for you right now. So recently sure. you left Uber to launch a startup venture called Beehive, which I've just mentioned, so that the college students can utilize it as a portal to find exams and homework from prior years. I can see why students would love it. If they can predict the questions in the next test, it would definitely add value in their academic career. <laughs> On the other hand, don't you think professor would hate this idea if they had to do additional homework and coming up with unique tests each year? Won't that add risk to your venture? How did you go about critically analyzing all the risks and benefits? And what's your vision behind it? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I think, you know, one thing to kind of recognize about Beehive is, is you know, we're not a cheating platform and and that's not our mission and that's not kind of what what we're after i think you know there's plenty of websites on the internet as well as like communities and places where people can go and 
and find find that those those kind of things if they if that's how they choose to learn. You know, I remember even when I was an undergrad, there were you know test banks that certain organizations on campus would have, and you just had to kind of make friends with the right people, and and you would you would get those things and and you know kind of get your leg up advantage. Our vision for Beehive um, is really two two things. One is that. When you look across, especially computer science education or engineering, you kind of quickly realize two very important factors. One is that students kind of regardless of what school they go to, whether they're studying in the U.S. at Stanford or, you know, even at Arizona where I went or even in India or, or Brazil, especially in computer science, you're literally learning very similar things. And it's, it's a field that's been very codified. And, and, there's, and, it, it, and it kind of has to. There's, there's standardization bodies that say, hey, in order to get a computer science degree, you must learn A, B, C, D, E, F. G. And we were like, gee, there's, you know, all of these thousands of students that are literally doing the same thing, whether you go to university or even you're in a boot camp that are like trying to learn the same thing. Wouldn't it be interesting if they could like connect with each other, collaborate and, and really find meaning from each other? Um, and then, two, we re- quickly realized in talking to a lot of students, we actually didn't realize this initially. We talked to like, you know, thousands of students and we realized that, wow, there's actually a lot of really good online resources. And, and this is not in the cheating camp, but this is more in the like, hey, there's a really good Khan Academy video that explains how data structures works. There's a really good blog post that explains computer graphics and what I'm trying to learn. There's a tutorial. And all of this content is all on the internet. But one, it's like relatively hard to find. There's not like a central place that kind of brings all this information together. And then, and then two, this content is actually uh, better than what your professor is providing. And this is not meant to be a knock on your professor, but it's just kind of the reality that um, if someone is so dedicated to teaching and if that's all they do 24-7 and they manage a blog, they manage a YouTube channel, they're, they're going to be better. They're going to be better at it um, versus, you know, the thousands of professors that are trying to teach that across the U.S. Um, and, and students are already using these resources to supplement their education. And, and again, this is not for teaching. This is just to get a better understanding of what um, of, of what they're learning, whether that's from a different perspective, um, whether it's an in-house example. And so Beehive is really meant to be this online community. You know, we use the word community a lot. This is supposed to be the central place that brings together you know, the 10,000 students that are literally learning the same thing as you as a place to connect with them. And then a way for you to find the blog post, the YouTube video, the lecture notes that would help you supplement your education. So that's really the core thesis. And, and, and we know we take a pretty hard stance on um, kind of the cheating version of this. And, it, and, and you know, if, if people do use it for that, we, we ban them. We take that content down immediately from our website. And, and, and we are all about learning and helping people get better. And, and if it does come into the cheating angle, we just don't think it's part of our core mission. And, and we have no problem, you know, kind of taking action against it. That's a good idea. Last time when I talked to you, I believe you were also trying to work on a data vertical. And does that in any way uh, tie with your project and with Beehive? Or if it does, or, uh, or if it doesn't, um, my question is, uh, how do you uh, plan to achieve a data vertical and how are you even in, involving cloud computing and big data in, in, in any way? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. Yeah, we do we do have data from multiple angles. And I think kind of the funny thing, and this is what we're still trying to figure out, and, and, and maybe you can help me out on this, is is what does data you know really mean and what does a data vertical really mean? And so where where our interest really peaked into this is that 
you know, you have the traditional career, you have traditional courses that colleges are getting into. So for example, machine learning or AI, and those are actually communities we have in Beehive right now that, that are active. And actually they're, they're our most active community just given the level of interest on, in, in the area. Now the question is like, where do we go next with it? What is the next area of interest? And if I think about kind of, uh, data, quote unquote, and, and, and I guess what I've seen from a practical, from what I've seen at Uber and Facebook especially, is that you know there's, it kind of breaks down into two or three segments. One is like basically data, data analytics, like you know we have an app out, who's using it, how are they using it, what are the cohort of users, and like almost like growth plus analytics, right? I think that's a very interesting camp, and I think it's a very useful skill. Then there's like the next layer of like machine learning and like you know making. Uh, and making predictions and using that information in the product to make make things better. That that's all the way from like recommendations to feeds to ads and and how all those things come about. Then I would say that there's like another layer on top of that, which is the more uh, I, I'm not going to call it out there stuff, but more more like on the cutting edge of what people are doing, where you know the practical implications are still being. Kind of figured out. So this is everything from like the self-driving car technology to you know image recognition to you know using a lot of na- natural language processing in a, in a more interesting way. And and I think those those things are still being figured out. And so the question for us is how do we build these communities in a in a supportive way where we add enough value beyond what's kind of out there and allow people to have kind of interesting conversations and how do we focus these communities in the right direction? And then on top of that, actually. Um, from a careers perspective is, you know, we're trying to align a lot of things of like, not only can you learn these skills and get better at them, but you can actually, you know, get, get a job, get connected with companies that are doing interesting things in this space. How do we line up those kind of avenues together? That is so cool. I think on the same note, lately um, IoT is also getting similar kind of positive attention that data science, cloud computing, and big data part of the world are receiving. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, were you involved in an IoT competition in Minnesota? And can you please tell us your thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, and and, and uh, I think that competition is still going on. And actually, you know, uh, a person, uh, so I'm, I'm from Minnesota, big fan of Minnesota tech community. I think, you know, the fun stat that I love to throw around is, you know, I think the first IBM PC was actually made in Rochester, Minnesota. So I think Minnesota has, you know, a very rich, very rich tech kind of background. Um, so yeah, you know, IoT has been an area that I've, it's been an, a very immense interest for me for even beyond, you know, even when I did, you know, I did electrical engineering as undergrad and, and my favorite class was embedded systems and, and, and microcontrollers building kind of small fun robots with that. And so I've been a very kind of passionate nerd about this space for a long time. And so when it kind of got standardized with Arduino and and, you know, you could easily connect it to the cloud through Wi-Fi and all these things just kind of unlocked an entire plethora of opportunity. So in 2014, actually, I spent the summer really just building stuff for fun. Um, and I got connected with with a person, uh, person called Justin, uh, Justin Gremmins, who is actually now running a, um, a Internet of Things incubator in Minneapolis, Lab 651. And so um, he was hosting meetups at the time, actually, for Internet of Things stuff. And we were just jamming on ideas. And we, we thought, hey, like, we should really host a hackathon for um, a hack, hacking competition, you know, 24 hours. Um, actually, we ended up doing less than 24 hours, but like a limited period of time where you come and you, you um, apply your idea. We can even help people connect with teams, connect them with hardware. We got some sponsors and we, we, held, um, we held this competition in October of 2014, I believe. And it was incredibly successful, actually. It was, it was actually, you know, for the amount of effort that we put in and, 
and how quickly we got everything off the ground. I, I was super impressed with the outcome. You know, I think we had 15 teams overall apply. I think like 10 teams made it all the way through. The winner, this company called Habit Aware, a Minnesota company, actually went off and kept perfecting their concept. And I think just recently, I think around April, they made their product publicly available. They went on to participate in an incubator in uh, in China, Shenzhen, uh, the, I think it was called, I forgot the name exactly of, of it, uh, but it's a hardware incubator out of out of China, they went to China for a while, perfected their idea and concept, got some funding for it, and now they're they're a full legit company that's selling uh, a product all in the market. And I think you can still probably find their original pitch from IoT Hack Day 2014 back then. So, and I've, I've like seen very few, if any, examples of hackathons where you know that something like that has happened to that degree. So, yeah. When you were at Microsoft, you worked on an application for photos. Would you mind sharing a few stuff about that? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, my job, um, so I actually had two jobs at Microsoft, um, two different teams, and they were both kind of photo related, so I don't know which one is is the more interesting one. So one was on Windows 7 and Windows 8, and so basically, you know, Windows 8 was all about touch and rich graphics, and so we wanted to build a platform that enabled developers to create apps that that had those functionalities so that when you you know touch somewhere in the app you could create a rich blur effect or ripple effect as if it was like water when you moved when you moved icons around there were rich things kind of rich things would happen um you know, and then there's all the way from blurs to drop shadows and they'd be all responsive in real time and they'd be able to work on kind of very cheap hardware um that 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 you know comp- legacy computers would would have and so that was a lot of my task for windows 7 and 8 is like figuring out how to build this developer architecture so you could have these kind of rich modern apps and and so this involved everything from you know figuring out how how graphics architecture worked to really figuring out scenarios for photo editing and photo processing you know one one other trend that was happening at the time was you know the iphone came out in 2007 and and you know mobile phones were just taking off and it was it was the dawn of like people having thousands of photos on their computer all the way from you know when they started it had a couple hundreds that you know maybe your friends emailed around and that's how you got photos but all of a sudden you had you know smartphones and people had thousands of photos now and so how does the os system process these photos how do you find what you need and how do you not have it be like a clunky kind of broken experience nice as it relates to the IoT side of things, um, in YouTube, you have something like you were talking in a YouTube video presentation about a device that could be used as a potential drowning alert. Can you tell us some yeah. fun facts about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's actually one of the projects I built during during my summer in Minnesota in 2014. Um, and really, you know, the goal wasn't so much that like, oh, I'm going to build uh, a, a drowning device. It was more to learn about IoT um uh, Internet of Things type stuff, but so basically, you know, taking taking a step back, it's uh, I, I built a I built a little device using Arduino and Bluetooth uh, low connect uh, low uh, low energy connectivity, and basically the idea is it's it's a device that you would wear a child could potentially wear, and it would basically detect if the person was uh, submerged underwater for too long, and it would pair with your smartphone, and then your smartphone would be able to send off alarms and whistles that like hey you know little Timmy. Uh, has been underwater for too long and it, you could potentially attach it to like a wrist or like 
um, or or you'd wear it as a cap or something like that, so that you know if if a certain part of your body was underwater for too long, um, it would be able to pick that up and 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 detect it. And it was actually inspired by a Kickstarter campaign that I thought mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Um, somebody created I don't even remember who now, but somebody created this Kickstarter campaign. They had a really cool video, and ultimately the Kickstarter campaign failed. It was really expensive. It was like a thousand dollars, and it was like specialty hardware, um, both for like the base unit that you would keep above ground that would like ring that would like ring alarms and then this like you know kind of hoop neck thing that you would wear to detect if you were underwater for too long and i was just like hey i wonder if you could build something very hacky um probably never commercial ready but like something that would do similar um and you could build it with a smartphone bluetooth low energy and kind of commonly aware uh, available items for for internet of things stuff so so i built it i presented it actually at uh, one of the um, meetups uh, that Justin hosted that summer. Um, I think people really loved it. And I, you know, I created a YouTube video as a quick way to like share, share the idea with other people and see if, if they thought it was cool as well. That's brilliant. When I saw that video, like around that same time, I read a news article about a toddler who was, who visited a lake or a pond with his grandma. Uh, he loved that lake and pond so much that he later went to visit it on his own. And oh. uh, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, oh, my God. Nobody knew until it was too late. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is it is a problem. And, and you know, the, the stats are the stats are pretty sobering on it. And, and it's all the way from like humans to pets to even when when people are being monitored. It's like, you know, you 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 to divert your attention for five seconds and it's almost too late. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think it, it is a problem. I think it's 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 something that that could be very interesting. Are you planning to take that product further? I'm just curious. Uh, or are you uh, too busy with the Beehive now? Yeah, no. I this was that was you know one of the, the fun things that you know I just wanted to prototype it and see what would happen. I I did talk to several folks um, about like what would it take to make. To, to make it commercial and, and and kind of bring it to market and see what was up with it. Um, and I think, you know, potentially why the Kickstarter, the folks that did the Kickstarter, why they didn't go the path that I did is, is just, it's, first of all, you'd have to figure out if you're going to position it as a safety product or like as a, as a non-safety product. If you do do it as a safety product, which, you know, I think, is is kind of the interesting part there's tons of regulation around it for good reasons um and there's a lot of like safety concerns um and and you have to figure out how all those things work together for example the device itself how well is that going to work how well is it going to pair for the phone if it if that alarm doesn't go off what are the liabilities what are the risks and all that stuff so that just adds that makes it really hard to actually um, you have to think about all those things and 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 kind of clear those hurdles to bring it to market. And then on top of that, it's a hardware product, and so it's really um, it requires a, a decent amount of capital up front to to make it off the business and stuff. So you know, it wasn't it, it just honestly wasn't in my kind of wheelhouse of 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 things to take to the next level. Um, I just didn't think I I kind of had the expertise to 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 do all that stuff um, and figure it out. But um, and it, you know, I could talk to several people. And I was like, you know several million dollars of initial investment just to prove out the concept. And, and then and then you guys very like, okay, how big is the market? How many people would actually kind of buy this thing and, and all that? So um, mm-hmm. 
Well, I really appreciate that you're allowing me to improvise and ask few additional questions that wasn't planned. Shabnam, would you like to ask me questions? Well, I don't have much to ask except for the fact that, you know, just appreciating how much we learned and it was really nice. You know, we learned a lot and I'm sure, you know, many of us would like to catch up with you. And on that regard, if you would like to share with us how we can connect with you in, you know, social or professional network sites like Twitter or LinkedIn or if you are, if you you have a blog if you could share with us that would be awesome sure sure yeah no problem um my my twitter handle is vbartia um just just uh drop me uh, a message anytime or my email is varun um at beehive.io um it's b-e-e-h-y-v-e dot io um or you can just um honestly add me on linkedin i'm always uh, i love i love it when people email me and reach out and, and that's how i connect with a lot of people as well so i'd be very appreciative if, if folks reached out and, and are happy to help in in uh, any way that I can with career computer science or with really anything. That's that's literally the the kind of mission of our of our little beehive company here. So um, yeah, very much happy to help. Thank awesome. you so much. Yep. Thank you, Varun. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it was wonderful chatting with you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5 at Shabnam Khan 2017 and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in.